Hello, pals. Welcome to another episode of the Comics Pals Book Club. I'm going to be your host this this month. Like month? Whatever. Of the show while we talk about The Authority, book one. Um, but just to kind of, uh, you know, let you know that th this book was actually voted for by the patrons. So if you like what we do here, subscribe to our Patreon where you can uh, get a little, a little, uh, taste of what uh, books we can read for the ne next month. We'll announce what we're going to be uh, voting on at the end of the show, right? Cool. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll have an idea of that. You'll get a, a nice little newsletter every week and your name shouted out on the, on the show with a superpower. So yeah, that's at patreon.com slash thecomicspals and like and subscribe. I got to get the other way because I don't host often and I gotta re I'm remembering it now. So, uh, But what we're actually here for is to talk about the authority and I'm here with Marco. Hello. Hello. How's Spencer doing? That's his cat. It is doing well. Um, Sean, how you doing? I'm um, um, good. Ready to talk comics. How did I catch you in a cough and you just canceled it out? Bro, <laughs> man, this is what I do. You, you understand your the frames of your own body really well. You don't want to cancel out the moves. <laughs> that was impressive. Um, but yeah, we're here to talk about The Authority. So The Authority... Book one is written by Warren Ellis, who hmm, has been maybe not so uh, been maligned recently because of uh, some extracurricular activities uh, in the comic sphere. But uh, he's right. This book with art by Brian Hitch, inks by Paul Neary, colors by Laura Martin. And there's also a one shot in the middle uh, drawn by Phil Jimenez. Um, so little, little bit there. So right off the bat, I wanted to ask you guys, like, what is your familiarity with, you know, the authority or maybe even Wildstorm in general? Because this is a Wildstorm book. Uh, I'll start. None. Um, the only the only thing that I know Midnighter from is because I believe he had a New 52 book or at the very least during that initial era, he had a book out and uh, you know, just figured another uh dc character that i'm unfamiliar with so uh it, it didn't really do much for me and wildstorm itself outside of maybe the history of where it exists in terms of comic book publishing uh that's my familiarity with them but otherwise through osmosis mostly from, from hearing you guys talk about it uh i i really don't have any familiarity i've seen jack hawks more before he was in the superman and the authority book that grant did um, I believe Jack appeared in that, but I don't remember if anyone else did from this team because I th that book is zapped from my mind. Um, <laughs> so my familiarity is none. Just what I have heard, what I've seen over the last couple of you know last few months since the announcement of James Gunn's DCU and everything like that. Yeah, I do want to touch on the DCU of it all toward towards the end end of this. Uh, but but the authority was published in 1999. It was March in uh, March of 99. So this is contemporary to the year that it's set in. Um, and back in 98 is when DC Comics actually purchased uh, the the Jim Lee's Wildstorm uh, characters, which were originally Image Comics characters, um, specifically Wildcats and Stormwatch. Hence Wildstorm being the imprint. Um, and the authority was kind of like an expansion of of this and. I, out of the Wildstorm books, I feel like this one holds up really well. Um, I have read this previously, um, maybe a couple years back. This was actually recommended to me by by Matt Murphy, who's a big uh, image, early image nerd, and this is essentially a continuation of that. But I feel, I feel like this also kind of has, even though it is a continuation of that, there is a kind of vertigo-ness to it. In the, in the content of it um, that I think is just inherent in the DNA, which is weird because it's also a DC book. Um, but yeah, so, and, and then just give a little more historical context to it. This kind of went on, and I think it stopped in 2007 or 8, um, and it was folded into the DC New 52 with Stormwatch, which had Martian Manhunter on the team, and... Uh, the 21st century version of, of Jenny Sparks. Uh, Jenny Quantum, I believe. Uh, but then these characters have kind of appeared here and there. Uh, Midnighter, Midnighter and Apollo kind of have their own. 
their own minis a couple times. There was a good Steve Orlando uh, book with them. Um, yeah, Philosopher King brought that up in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they show up in, I believe they were also in that Superman and the Authority. But the idea of this Authority team being the preeminent superhero team of that Wild uni- uh, Wildstorm universe uh, is kind of how, why I wanted to kind of tackle this one because it's a very interesting team. Um, so this book starts off with <laughs> a bang, a boom, really. Uh, it's the almost complete destruction of Moscow. Uh, and through that, we get introduced to this authority team. Um, and the team consists of Apollo, Midnighter, uh, led by Jenny Sparks with Jack Hawksmore, uh, the engineer, uh, and Swift and the doctor. Um, and the whole book's kind of this team book that is vaguely the Justice League, but not really. Um, yeah, I, I think it felt like a Justice League dark kind of thing, and particularly because of Jenny Sparks. She just gave me Constantine vibes, down to the very cigarettes that she smoked. Like, they, they, make, they make reference to um, the cheapest cigarette that she has, which John Constantine is known for uh, smoking silk cuts, specifically. And I'm like, oh, like this is these are these are parallels, literal parallels to these characters. And I thought putting them into this team was that kind of a precursor to the JLD. So for me, I it kind of helped ground me immediately. The the familiarity, some of the the interactions that we get, and just the the environment in which the the team has to kind of fight. I think the world is a good part of the a good discussion point in this book because this is its own universe. Yes, I know like currently all of these characters kind of exist in the main DC universe, but not at the point when this comic was coming out. They're in this own world. And it is a lot more grounded. Um, it's not as superhero-y as, um, you know, uh, the DC universe would be. And I think that kind of lends to its... I don't want to say it's realistic. It's not. This guy can, one of the guys can, you know, he's barefoot and can just talk to cities, you know. <laughs> but it is a lot more grounded. It feels more like, um, in a way, like Millar's, uh, you know, universe of stuff. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even think it feels like a Marvel universe, but it is really grounded in, like, this, it almost feels like a post-9-11 book, even though it's pre-9-11, which is kind of wild. Um in the sense that it feels like the the that they are uh, the ability to uh, uh, kind of attack things in a more uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like preemptive strikes is a big thing with that with this book, uh, and the authority is very um, like they want to they 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 address things a lot differently than the Justice League would, or even the Marvel characters would. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing being they kill people, right? Which I thought was yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because um, I think it it feels like, um, well, it contributes to that grounded feeling you, you're mentioning, kind of like the, um, I would say stuff like The Boys, or and I've not read necessarily the that the comic, but from the from the show, like where it exists, there is a there's a reality there in that superheroes just exist in this world but everybody else kind of also exists and you live with those two things. And um, uh, I think it, I think it helps. Yeah. It just helps set you into the story. There's not a lot of disbelief. That's not true. Uh, they have their whole, their, they have their whole spaceship. Um, the, <laughs> the, the ways in which you have to suspend your disbelief, I think is a little bit different as compared to something that exists in DC proper. It's not Metropolis. It's not Gotham city. It's New York. It's LA. It's Moscow. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't really think too much about all that. I wasn't concerned with the context of where they were at because it didn't really feel like that mattered. Um. You know, we know that the DC universe has big cities, and I'm used to, you know, all the characters not rallying and coming whenever something goes wrong. So, um. Yeah. To 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 me, I think the most jarring thing on the outset was just how much of this it felt like you're almost expected to already understand um 
there's so much that you don't know about that they don't really explain or they just hand wave or someone throws a flippant line and that's all you get. Mm-hmm. And I definitely struggled with that. Uh, mm, do you feel like that took you out of the book? The fact that there's a lot of like, I guess pre pre Wildstorm knowledge necessary, uh, especially that that one uh, middle issue, the Jimenez issue, that is essentially a crossover with uh, Planetary, the other Warren Ellis book at the time. Um, but mm-hmm. they don't hold your hand at all in explaining things, <laughs> and that feels like a that feels like a. That feels like the sort of thing that would happen when we're in the prime of comics aren't in newsstands as much and it's in the direct market and you're not as concerned with trying to sell the idea that every comic could be someone's number one. Like they clearly just did not give a shit about that. Um, I- I'm going to take this opportunity since I got the mic right now. I did not like this book. Okay. Um, I did not like this. I'm really, really surprised by that. Because I thought I would love it. It seems like something teed up for me. Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. That's like a dream team in my brain. But uh, this this was a mess, I thought. Um, the art is awesome. This is great Brian Hitch. I think if you like Brian Hitch at all, this is what, you, this is what it is. Um, and you can clearly see, like, Jonathan Hickman drew or wrote Ultimate Invasion with Hitch specifically in mind, because Hitch loves drawing many, many, many of the exact same character on screen. It happens in every arc. Um, and and, and the, the specific poses, too, are always, it's like, a, that's a Hitch pose. Yeah, yeah, so Hitch was on Hitch, was on Hitch. but man, I, I'm really blown away by how much I didn't like Ellis's script here. Um, really a disappointment. It's uh, very like it feel it feels like a Mark Miller book, not written by Mark Miller. It feels like Ellis is trying to be real edgy and maybe this is just what he was like at the time. A lot of people were. Um, but there's just constant like weird sexual assault references. Um it's really edgy. Uh the 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 story, the villains and, and how they interact with the heroes is very dull. Um, I'm surprised this book gets as much praise as it does. And we'll, I'm sure we'll dissect why, but yeah, this was rough. Interesting. Marco, what did you think of it? Um, I, th- I did not like it. Um, it didn't, it didn't blow me away, but I think because there was a ground, there's a familiarity in the sense that it felt thematically like something from Vertigo, something like, um, something like that Garth Ennis might write or um, something that Jamie Delano might write like that, that era is familiar to me. And I think to what you're saying, Sean, about the, that level of edginess or wanting to really um, maybe not be controversial, um, uh, explosive, uh, I'm afraid of the word inflammatory, inflammatory, maybe that works. Um, like he, he wants to build that up and that's maybe a, a theme of the times. So for me, it, it I was noticed, but um, I was able to stick with it and see it through. The art helps a lot, um, but I agree that this isn't this isn't stellar writing, but it, it's at the very least uh, enjoyable. It's funny you mention uh, Miller, uh, Mark Miller, because uh, he is the one who takes over this book after Ellis. Yep. Um, <laughs> so and, and I've never read the Mark Millar stuff. Um, but it is it is of a time. So this happens in you know in ninety nine to two thousand. So this is right on the cusp of the Ultimates uh, coming to Marvel, which uh, that is kind of what this feels like. That this feels like almost DC's Ultimates in a way, like a precursor to what Ultimates would be. And um, I didn't really get how it. Uh, I didn't really get the super edginess to it. Um, yeah, there was that whole thing, you know, with in the first the first arc with uh or rather the second arc, the uh the the slide the siding Albion, uh where this alien race wants to make these camps. Um and uh Warren Ellis' script uh says that a lot in it. It's very repetitive that he needs to drive this home, that this these are uh, specific uh camps that they want to set up. And I was just like, All right, come on, buddy. Um That's but- not the only reference either the last villain they face i think 
so, uh, he kills a man and then leaves the yep. woman alive. And she says, oh, why am I alive? And he says, I need someone to have sex with as the as the world ends. Who, like, what? Who just dies. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is this, it's garbage. It's yeah. garbage. The, the, my issue, having reread this, and I think I liked this a lot more the first time I, I read it. Um, reading it again, uh, a couple things jumped out to me. Um, these characters are great. I really like, like these, these characters. I think Jenny Sparks is fantastic who hasn't come back. Like, like you pretty much read her entire story. Um, there's a little bit of her in Stormwatch before this, uh, but this is most of her stuff. Um, and they've not brought her back since. They've brought back a newer version of her, but not the same character. Um, and I think she's a great character in this. And I think it's really cool to see a woman-led superhero team where that is not a factor to her at all. Like, just because she's a woman is not really brought up. It just is. Uh, and she's kind of a freaking badass in this, and I really like Jenny Sparks as a character. She even wears a um, a V for Vendetta shirt in, in one issue, hmm. um, and it's like, all right, yeah, there's the Vertigo uh, homage there. I couldn't detach her from a, a, a John Constantine, so throughout the book, that was just my like, uh, like it was just oh, this is this is a, a John Constantine, but like a gender swap. So for with, with powers, I guess. So well. I, with less magic powers, but the electric powers. Well, then the doctor is there. And, and actually, Constantine shows up in the doctor page where you see all the different uh, iterations of the doctor. And one of them is like, Jesus Christ. Um, but there's one who's clearly Constantine. It's just the way he's drawn. He's like in the back. So it's more of a cameo. Um, cool. But yeah, those those kind of archetypes are there. But, um, then, but then the shaman reminded me of somebody like um, from Doom Patrol. Um, oh, my God. I'm blanking his name. There's a lot of weird characters in Doom Patrol. Uh, there's, there's... Negative, uh, oh, Negative Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, the, 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 there are these archetypes, especially in the weird and wacky world. Um, honestly, Engineer just felt like uh, maybe an extension of Metal Men. There, there, was, there was a lot there that I had previous familiarity from the more wacky aspects of DC that uh, sometimes I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't see them as new characters. They felt derivative. They, they worked, but they felt derivative. They're, I would I would counter that with uh, these are extensions of early Image Comics, which was derivative. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, it's just a, a natural evolution of that line of characters. Um, but as in the second reread, um, I remember liking these characters a lot. But in this reread, I'm like, there's not much character development for these people in this. Like, it's it's this is a very plot-heavy... 12 issues mm. it's it's ridiculous how plot heavy it is like and it's there's, just, there's just yeah. no there's just no like development you know characters don't really grow and change everybody's sort of where they're at not to say that like every character is written poorly or anything like that i thought midnighter and apollo were interesting yeah um i did like jenny sparks I sort of wanted to like the engineer, but again, she's just like, she's the character who's going to say she likes to have sex and she wants to bang everybody. And she's the character that they're going to make those kind of references with. And it's just like, yo, Ellis, can they be multidimensional? Hmm. You know, and maybe it's just one of those things you had to be there for, but like, bro, what are you doing? It was counterculture. Like this was uh, a direct response to DC Comics. You know, so I can see the point execution. I don't agree with. Mm. Um, I actually think I the, en the engineer had the most development because she was she was almost our POV character. She was like the newcomer, you know, kind of getting into her her shoes as a hero, and you kind of see her evolve from like I don't know what I'm doing to I'm going to space to fight God in twelve issues. <laughs> um, but I and and I like Midnighter and Apollo, but I don't think they do much here in terms of character. They're they're the muscle, the brooding character, the brooding individual. I, I did like that they, and maybe this wasn't as like clean, but the the references to them being gay were, especially at the start, very just like sarcastic and backhanded. Um, and then once they start to show like affection every once in a while, then it's then it, it felt a little more wholesome in moments. But um, but I those were two characters I I did have fun with at the very least.
I, yeah, I thought the, the the gay aspect of them was very understated. They kiss on the yeah. cheek once, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which yeah. is like, all right, sure, sure. I mean, Rent came out in '96, so you, it was fine, guys. But, um, yeah, I I was kind of disappointed at how almost like they they really were tools. Uh, Midnighter gets that one good uh, bit. I think it's like issue three or four where he gets to go to Gamora uh, undercover and, you know, he does somewhat Batman-y things, but he really is just uh, a kind of a play on Batman as a character. Uh, And Apollo is forced to be the Superman stand-in where I don't really think they get to be characters as much. Uh, They eventually do as their own characters throughout media afterwards, but not really in this. Uh, I will say I do like the design work in sure. the within the characters. Uh, I, I one of my favorite things was Apollo was anytime he would use his powers, he just has this like shine about him. He has this aura and this glow. Love that. That was a really good visual cue. Midnighter's costume is pretty fucking cool. Um, the engineer again, this nanotechnology, and and once they start doing like spacey plus magic plus sci-fi stuff, I'm hooked. Like that. That's uh, their whole explanation with the carrier. Mm, yummy give me give me words that make no sense which sean morrison takes the bleed right as a concept and breaks it into like multiversity yeah yeah i mean and and i think the bleed is just a you know it's a dc concept sure yeah i wasn't sure where it it originated from um but one of the other things that was kind of a bummer for me and we talk about this on palace polls all the time whenever you know it happens in a book that every Every arc of this winds up being them fighting something really big, <laughs> you know. Um, mm. There's not really a rogues gallery here. Um, it's mostly concepts they're fighting, or it, it, or they're just fighting world-ending threats. Which which is the point of the authority. They are they're uh, proactive rather rather than reactive. I think Harris said that in the chat, which is what I was going for earlier. Um, and it's them, you know, being the authority on Earth. They will do whatever needs to be to save Earth, um, which means, like, all right, they're going to go kill God or, you know, they're going to fight these giant uh, uh, goopy cyborgs or whatever. But none of, none of them, like, outside of uh, what was the, uh, the first character, the Kaizen Gamora, like, outside mm-hmm. of him, who was also just a mustache twirly, you know, pulp villain, there's not much to chew on in terms of the villains in this at all the second arc has a villain who's a character as well the blue guy yeah um regis yeah Yeah. uh i mean (laughs) i don't know i i feel like i feel like this book so (laughs) to me there's nothing different about the this from the justice league except that uh, the Justice League is just better. Like, like these characters have crappy villains uh, with no development whatsoever. All they do is fight. And there's just no, there's just no, like, character work. And it's really shocking because Warren Ellis is a writer that, like, I think about when I, like, when I think about, like, good character work. And it's just not present here in any shape or form. Um... And the and it's such a formulaic book at that. There's gonna be a villain, and then he's gonna have an army, and that army is all gonna look the same, and that's what it's gonna be. And also, I don't agree that they're proactive at all. Actually, I think they're pretty reactive. Like things are happening, and they're dealing with it. I don't I don't feel like they're doing anything at all that the league or the Avengers wouldn't do, except kill, which is the least interesting thing on the planet Earth. I. I... I'd counter that with one thing, and I think it's it's the end of the second arc where they have this alternate world, um, and the the act, there's an, act, an actual uh, um, uh, philosophical dilemma. It's like, all right, are we the authority of our own Earth or every Earth? Like, is the objective to save everyone or literally everyone in any world? And so they go to the alternate Earth, and they just kill all of the. Uh, 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 reigning powers they destroy Italy <laughs> all in like the span of like four pages and I thought that was interesting in the sense like like that it's not just a Justice League that kills no this is a Justice League that will make decisions for Earth without any consultation 
Um, and I thought that was like, all right, I think you might be trying to say something here, but they never really go any further than that. It's a Justice League that kills. <laughs> like, I mean, that, that I think I think that that is giving them a lot of credit that's undue when the only thing that separates them in terms of like their behavior is murder. Which like like what was Ellis trying to say? You know, nothing. I I genuinely what was he trying to say? But but think about when this this came out though. 1999. Like when did Morrison's uh, Justice League come out? It's around the same time. Um, okay. So the idea of this kind of DC Justice League didn't really exist. Um, so it, it as, as dumb as it sounds now, like the Justice what? League that kills is it was kind of like, all right, we're going to do something different now. I'm sure you had a crime syndicate, but that was a it's different than this. Hmm. I think we've seen stuff since then, and it's potentially well. It, it and I think it's been done better since. But the novelty of it, I can see your point in that. I mean, Perez says killing hundreds of Superman NPCs is not interesting to me. I completely <laughs> agree with that. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> it's hard for me to see reading this in 2023 and and you know being wowed like that's not even in '99. I mean you. We talk about 99 like it's prehistoric times. We already had some of the greatest comic books that have ever existed, you know, and I think you 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 judge it against what's coming out and what 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 timeline that is. And I mean, my God, you have the Dark Knight Returns, you have, you know, year one, you have Kingdom Come, you have so many amazing things that DC was doing. And I just don't think this stands alongside them. I think it's more of a uh, breeding pool for good characters that we get in other books, honestly. Um, uh, one thing I did, you know, in the second read through was I really appreciated Laura Martin colors on it. Mm. Um, I think out of everything, even more than the writing, uh, that was the most uh, anti DC stance <laughs> because it's very secondary uh, and muted. And it's not, you know, there is no Superman with a red cape. Or anything like that. Like these characters are, you know, Jenny Sparks is the most colorful one. That's because she has the uh, the, the British flag on her chest, you know. Um, but outside of that, there's like a lot of oranges, a lot of warm colors. Um, nothing really on the primary side of things. Which I was like, all right, the colors are trying to say something here, at least. Yeah, that 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 was cool to note. Um, there's there's definitely a few moments where, to your point, it's not like bright and contrasting. Uh, primary colors but you have the the tones into all of that which uh, Laura does a really good job doing uh, in particular there's the when the squiggly when the squiggly guys first attack earth and they're um they're like getting blown up in the in the skies or launching across across Tokyo there's all these explosive moments and you see the fire and and uh, the crashing debris and the tone goes from this pinkish uh, like pinkish purplish hue to a warmer golden to then just like descends into chaos and reds and oranges and browns even that um it was a lot of fun a lot uh, of yeah. sunset and dusk kind of tones yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think definitely i don't know how to not um i think yeah i think muted's a good word yeah laura martin is a beast uh, um, underrated. I'm a huge fan of Laura mm -hmm. Martin. Laura Martin is one of the one of the uh, colorists that if you saw her name on a book in the mid 2000s, you 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 pretty well knew uh, it was gonna hit because she Laura Depew. What? Laura Depew D E P U I. Maybe she. This maybe was that's her maiden name. Maybe. I mean, I, I I know her as Laura Martin, yeah. and in this book, it's she's credited as Laura Martin. Um, but uh, yeah, Laura Martin is just one of those colorists, and I don't know where she where she is now. I haven't seen. I feel like I haven't seen her name on a book in a while. But boy, am I a fan. Marco, you're right. That was her maiden name. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what I have in, in the version I'm reading. Yeah, the single the single she said to Pew, but yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I agree, Sean. Like Laura Martin, and like it was like her and Dean White at the time. They were like the goats. Uh, 
uh, yeah. for me. So, and, and I think it just her and Hitch just work well as well. Um, right. And I think that I, you know I, I wanted to get to the we talked about the Hitch art a little bit earlier, but this dude like reading Ultimates. What, what was the most Ultimate Invasion? That's what it was called. Um, there's a lot of giant battle scenes in this, and and this book has almost one every other issue <laughs> of just ships. Um, yeah. yeah. But he knows his strengths, and they, it works for this. He's just he has cl- really clean lines. Um, the shading here is done really well. Uh, panel work is all there. Like this is just a, a very tight, tight comic from an artist perspective. Um, and I think compared to some of the stuff we've seen recently from him, it's different. Not, I don't think, lesser because he's no longer trying to capture maybe this sort of mood in the book. But the fact that he was able to do this and this was output previously, great stuff, man. This fits right into this, again, like that vertical era, vertigo era. Yeah, Brian Hitch, um, I mean, you can definitely see how, why and how he got chosen to do the Ultimates. Um, It makes a lot of sense when you look at this, you know, just that widescreen uh, storytelling from a visual standpoint. It, you know, he, for this time frame, he's definitely one of the artists of the generation. Mm. Um, You know, I I think if you put together you know, a, a mood board or whatever of, of, of what this time looked like uh, from an art, an artist standpoint, um, he's on it. He's just tremendous. I love his designs, you know, uh, like even I just went to a, an absolutely random page and this is what I pulled up. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like a giant plant monster. That's, I mean, that's several giant plant monsters that are attacking a city, and it's just a beautiful page. That was from that, like, backup uh, story that was kind of a one-and-done, right? It was, like, the Jenny Sparks, um, and then she sends it to, like, sends those things to, to a, an abandoned city in China. Yeah, uh, it's a very short story. Yeah. Which I think was the best story in the whole thing. Um, it was a bite-sized story. I was like, oh, these characters are using their power sets as a team? Interesting. Um, which you don't really get later on outside of like Apollo go fly through shit some more. Um, That one was cool. It was like, all right. uh, It was her being a team leader and kind of explaining that, um, which just happens like in the middle of the book. As a, as a character, um, I found Jen, like I liked her, Jenny Sparks, but I also didn't. I felt like uh, Ellis would only hit one note with everybody. And her one note was she's an ass. <laughs> so when she's leading, she's an ass. Uh, she does, you know, she she's like over there comms saying obnoxious shit, you know, like on a mission. And, um, you know, I, I, I just felt like I would have been more interested if they had focused on her being a little bit more um, pensive about the fact that she's losing her life. I thought that that was a very, very interesting idea. And if this 12 issues had introduced that concept in the first issue, this book would have had a lot more weight for me. Mm. Um, I really like, even just from a pacing standpoint, introducing that so late, I thought was a really weird choice. I think that's one of the things that gets lost in the way this kind of throws you into things. Cause that's an established thing for century babies, um, which are these mm. char- characters that were created at the turn, turn of the century to be, the essential, essentially, the immune system for Earth, but we don't really get that really until the end. There's a, there's allusions to it in the middle, but if you don't know what they're talking about, you won't catch it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I agree with you. Hitch during that scene, Sean, where she's realizing she's about to die. Hitch does a lot of the heavy lifting there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just surprising. It's surprising yeah. that Ellis wouldn't say, "Wait a second, we need to." you know, put that up front because then yep. people will care about her. Like I cared about her so much more once I knew that. Um, but it came too late for me. You'd you'd almost expect the ticking clock to be a thing that goes throughout the book, you know? 
Um, yeah. Especially when it's happened. Like this book is coming out towards the year, you know? So this happens right. simultaneously with the turn of the, you know, Y2K in the year 2000. So, um, yeah, there's not, there's not much of it touched on, on here in that regard. Um, and like thinking about it as like a character standpoint too, like so, some of my favorite Alice books are Next Wave, which is one of my favorite books of all time, which I would love to do on the show. Um, and it's Thunderbolt Run. And those are character heavy books. Like the Thunderbolt book makes you fall in love with horrible people <laughs> who are D-list Marvel characters. Yeah. Um, and it, you don't get that in this. And it's not only you don't get that in this, I don't even see the seeds of what would then become that um, in this book, at least. Interesting. Uh, so for me, I think the same about Ellis now that I think about Hit, uh, Miller rather, which is that they work best when they have a lot more oversight and when someone is reining them in. Because I think that if Ellis had less space to talk about raping women and doing the dumbest things possible in the book, he might have been a little bit more methodical and actually treated his characters with respect and built them up, which we know he can do because we see him go on to do it. Um, I just feel like he he had the ability to do whatever he wanted to do, and so he did that, and he lost his faculties about telling a story that cares about the characters that are in it. You know, it's it's action, 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 edgy, edgy, edgy. You know, where's the story, story, story? It's action, action, action without any reflection afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what they do in this book, if there was reflection on that, like we got an issue where they were kind of, you know, a cool down issue after they go to a parallel earth and, and perform mass murder. <laughs> Um, if they can, you know, talk about that within each, within each other, they don't. They're like, all right. Even even um um the Swift, who previously was a pacifist before this book when she was on Stormwatch. Um, th there's a couple allusions to her being like, yeah, I kill now, but it's never in a reflective way. It's just like, no, this is what I do. Yeah. Why don't they care? You know, like why why don't they ever think about what it is that they do? And I I think that that. That line of thinking that we're discussing right now, um, that is something that's probably evolved more in the consciousness of creators over the last couple of decades. Um, but even, I mean, even I'm trying to give the book grace, but like even back then, you still have books that, you know, had, like Daredevil, a highly reflective character, you know, Batman doesn't kill. If these, like, do these characters have any kind of conscience about what they do? And if not, why not? Even that is interesting, right? Like, if they don't care, at all why right you know what 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 about their lives has led them to be like this why are they apathetic why are they bitter about whatever sure yeah you know is it is jenny like this because she's lived so long even though 100 years is, is honestly not that long um like it sounds crazy but i mean we it's possible that we all know someone who's lived 100 years so it's not right. that long but is it is it that she's seen so much in her life that she just thinks like, you know, all that time for bureaucracy has passed. We need to get shit done. I would like to know if that's what, you know, how she feels. And like, I, I think we maybe get that now with, you know, decompressed storytelling. But like, I can't even give it that because Born Again happened before this. And Born Again was five issues. And all these things are four issue arcs, really. Right. Um, so you can still do that kind of story in four issues. Um yeah, I, that's something I appreciated about this that it was in these set like four issue blocks. So I think that helps to organize the book a little bit. And honestly, the the way that it was paced out, uh, I think by putting in that limit, um, it kind of forced him to get from point A to point B, and not really have room to meander. And I appreciated that because uh, there were definitely some moments where maybe it would it would have been nice for the sake of the story or the characters to meander a bit um but it was streamlined and i think that that's fine you I think, think it's just... fine for there to be no character work well I, the for it to be plot driven and just for the fact that it was built upon uh, and structured in four issue arcs uh it would have been enhanced with the 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 character work but for this for what we got with this in that time frame 
I was fine with it. That's something we lose a bit um, in comics currently. You know, the the quick little arcs in this. Like, I think of, like, Morrison's JLA. There's a lot of those quick things here, but it also has character work, you know? Um, and, you know, now we're either, you know, dealing with an ongoing that is just the same story, just continuing issue after issue after, after issue, or a limited series or maxi where these quick four-issue actual arcs, you know, exist. Um, but I don't think they're too compelling in this. Yeah. Every arc I found myself... Well, by the time we got to the last one, I was pretty done. But, like, I found myself wanting another issue. Like, they're just... Like, there's got to be a little more. Like, the the one arc where they fight Regis, I was... That was the only arc where I was like, oh, shit, okay. There's something sort of interesting to me here with this alternate Earth and these aliens that came and have sort of built them, built their lives here. And I don't know, I was kind of compelled by that. But then... You know, it doesn't it doesn't reach the the apex point of becoming like ultimately interesting. It's got the flair of something interesting, but it doesn't really I don't know, it doesn't really do anything with that. And and it helps that I think that character looked pretty cool. You know, I, I, I really like um Hitch's design for that guy. Yeah, me but too. I thought that there was there was good stuff. But the um like the, the two characters too that I thought were interesting, which don't really get much screen time, are um that Christine and Jackson King. They're the two yeah. people that work at the UN who were Stormwatch members. Um, mm. They were Stormwatch members, and Stormwatch was a government-sanctioned team, but then they stopped sanctioning it, so these guys were relegated to desk duty. And, like, that's a fun story there, but they're kind of joke characters now um, and only come up when it needs to. they need someone to be reflective of the government. Okay, yeah, because it opens with them, and uh, that opening was kind of just like, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's something then... they expect you to know. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. This did feel like the new metal of comics, though. <laughs> like in the, in, in the in the time it came out, like uh, what did uh, somebody said that here uh, uh, in the chat? Uh, I forget where it was, but uh, yeah, it was yeah. So Fee Waver said it's a decade of Marilyn Manson. You know, so <laughs> I kind of see that being the soundtrack. So. Um, I did want to touch on the fact that James Gunn has announced already that this authority will be being adapted into one of the DCU movies to come out during the uh, Gods and Monsters um, side of things, which I think it fits in that theming pretty well. Um, but after reading this, now being a little more familiar with the characters and, and their origins, really, what do you uh, what do you think about that? this being a movie that's going to kind of anchor some of the DC universe. It won't look like this. Yeah, word. <laughs> it's not going to be like this. Um, <clears throat> there's like, I mean, there's there's no, Tyler, please. There's no chance, right, that James Gunn looks at this and goes, yeah, we're going to adapt this verbatim. They're going to no, take no, no. the concept of the authority, right? The, the characters, that's all fine. But what Ellis actually does here is not going to be reflected in the films because he doesn't do anything here. I would say early James Gunn, I can see this. There's a lot of weird, gory explosions and weird worms and stuff like that. And people and just cursing willy nilly about sexual assault. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you got canceled off Guardians of the Galaxy the first time. Um, but uh, yeah, it just feels like it's it's weird to introduce these guys in a film universe that doesn't have a Justice League yet because these guys are essentially uh, mirror to the Justice League. Um, and I guess public consciousness means that everyone knows who the Justice League is, so you don't really need that. But it is an interesting pick for things. I, I can see it. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I can see it working, but not in this iteration. If it's a matter of wanting that level of edginess a la a the boys yeah this would be the avenue to go or the closest avenue you could go maybe with a dc property but i don't think that they're going to go that way and for them to introduce this as a government sanctioned team i wonder if it's also not a way to try to separate from the stuff that's happened with the the suicide squad as well and the, the there's a reason that he's he's trying to differentiate and if this is going to be the team, I don't mind it. 
it's cool. It's different. If this is an avenue for potential vertigo stuff, I'd like that as well. My supposition with this has always been that these characters in the film will and the team will exist to show Superman that, yeah, there's a need for a team, but not like this and mm-hmm. will be the inspiration for ultimately the formation of the Justice League. And so in that regard, as a tool that serves a greater purpose, yeah, absolutely. Do I think that the authority is going to become a like major franchise or anything like that? That I'm not so sure about. And it really doesn't have anything to do with um, the characters because I, I don't think there are unmarketable characters. I think if you've got a good creative team behind it, you can take any group of characters or character and make it work. I just don't know if that's actually what DC envisions with this. I think it's a stepping stone. Obviously, if it makes a billion dollars, they'll make authority until they're blue in the face. But the plan, I think, is what I said. Mm. We also live in a world where the boys is killing it right now on TV. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see, but this, I don't, I don't know. I don't agree that there's a correlation between this and the boys because the boys is intentionally parodying superheroes and comics whereas this is deadly serious um this is warren ellis's raw take um so i I really don't think they're the same i also don't think that you can do the boys type stuff in a marvel or dc property outside of like a deadpool definitely not Uh, especially with the boys are climbing into penises on that show so that's not happening on Mm -hmm. the big screen um I am interested, though, especially, I mean, the only one we've gotten confirmed as being on the team is the engineer. She's been cast already. Oh, that's um, cool. That's the only one. And we could we could assume Midnighter and Apollo. Um, but outside of that, we don't know. Um, so I think the prospect of it is is interesting. Um, but where it fits in the larger scheme of the DCU, I don't know. It was There was the, the one announcement that I was like, oh, interesting. That is a weird one to pick. And I think I I think uh, as it relates to that, she's probably going to introduce Superman to the concept of the authority. Maybe she's yeah. a member or something like yeah. that. I think it's more of a more of a cameo with a longer tail than she'll be a relevant character in this particular movie. That's just again my supposition. But you can only have so many characters that are going to factor into a movie, and Superman Legacy is loaded with people. So I think this is more to do about the future. As yeah. James James Gunn says, that he he's tired of cameos in superhero movies, uh, and then the Superman uh, legacy cast is huge. Um, but yeah, so so all in all, um, I for me this was, and I want to get to some of the listener comments here. Um, so if you guys have any that you want to pick out, feel free to to say it. But all in all, I enjoyed this a lot more the first time around. Um, I think reading it the second time around, a I have a lot more of an enjoyment for you know, cheesy, hokey Superman and Batman. Like, I like that happiness of it all. Uh, and this being almost like an antithesis to that, it's just like, well, it's not what I want. Um, but inversely, I enjoyed the art a lot more this time around than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like a weird, uh, like a negative image to my first uh, reading of the book. Uh, I think the art just does a lot of the carrying here, at least for me and for this book. Um, but I can see myself... I, I think I think there's a there's a curiosity, especially knowing where the authority fits in terms of like comic book history, uh, was part of the Wildstorm universe, and so therefore there's there's some stuff to maybe mine there from like a a comics uh, archival space, but um, it's also th- these characters are also interesting enough that if they come out with future books, I can go oh, I remember uh, I, I remember Apollo, I remember Midnight, I remember engineer i can i can ground myself now and i'm curious about them because i think there's potential and can be handled well by uh by a team um irrespective of this so that that at the very least excites me because i have a bit more knowledge now than i once did uh i mean i'm glad i read it to knock it off my stack but I, I was I was shocked by this, honestly. Like I really, really expected something very different. I expected some I expected something, you know, gory and harsh and violent, but I expected something also reflective. 
um, or at least with some strong character work. And I think, you know, Warren Ellis goes on to write a lot more, a lot better comics than this. Brian Hitch is in his era. This is his, this is during his reign, if you will. And, um, you know, I look forward to the more interesting versions that we'll inevitably get in the film. I think this book, though, is better left than the 90s. That's fair. I think it's a fair summation. Um, so I'll read some comments here. And like I said, guys, just pick some out if you see any. But uh, Tom Account said, uh, how do we feel about the authority cohabiting an Earth with the Justice League? Uh, in main DC right now, I mean, I mean, there is no D- there is no Justice League right now, so I mean, I, I guess they <laughs> yeah. they can coexist. They're alive, actually. but <laughs> yeah, but I think in terms of how they plug in and fit, these feel like I I, I don't I don't even compare them necessarily. I I I think this is a much closer an, uh, analogy to uh, Doom Patrol. That they they seem like the the kind of um, superhero team that they would pit against not necessarily the justice league maybe the villains are world ending but they're world ending in these conceptual matters like you fight god where maybe the doom patrol meet uh they have to fight abstract uh art dadaism right so swamp thing has to fight the the has to unify the friggin' personification of good and evil like those are those concepts and that's what i associate so uh, I think they can coexist just as just as well as Doom Patrol and the Justice League do. Well, I think the question was how could the authority exist? How could the League let the authority exist? Because they kill and they don't care. Um, and to that I say that's that's interesting. Like, let's tell that story. Um, I, I think them coexisting together is totally cool, but they have to, you know, there 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 has to be some coming to a head, because ultimately the league cannot allow something like the authority to exist because they kill and don't care. Um, and I th- and and for what it's worth, I think that's exactly what it is that James Gunn is angling toward in the film space, and because of that, I suspect that the comics will reflect on it in some form or fashion, inevitably. I almost feel like a lot of these characters in the DC universe, when they're planted there, work better as just standalone characters. Like we had Jack Hawksmore show up in Rom V's Swamp Thing. That's um, right, yeah. And I thought that was like a great character to pit up against, you know, Swamp Thing at the time. Um, uh, Midnighter and Apollo. Like Midnighter look, works great as a, a solo character sometimes too. Um but I, I think the most we've gotten in the comics, at least, is Superman the Authority, where Superman kind of is trying to rein these guys in. But a lot of them aren't really established authority characters. They're more, like, similar to them. Uh, Manchester Black is essentially a stand-in for Jenny, Jenny Sparks, uh, in a way, except his power set's different. But who he is as a person is very similar. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with Sean on this. I feel like that's where we're going, um, at least for the DCU side of things. And uh, I mean, Paris and Vengeance make a good point. You know, doesn't the Justice League allow the Suicide Squad to exist in some way? Man, Amanda Waller, I guess. I don't know. It's do, do you remember the the Justice League versus Suicide Squad event? Was that an event? It was, yeah. Um, and it was just like that's that's a wash. Like that's not they're not winning. Like <laughs> word. It was the dumbest premise. Uh, but I think that's storytelling, right? How do they let them exist? Exactly. That's that's the question. And then hopefully the writers can put together a story that, you know, answers that question because they have to come into conflict. So are the ju- like are the Justice League going to shut them down? Can they kill them? No, right? So they have to figure something else out, and then hopefully that's where the good storytelling comes in. But um, to answer the question, I think the the answer to that question is. Uh, let's let's let DC tell us, you know, let's see it. Uh, Fee Waver said uh, James Gunn's Suicide Squad was pretty violent. It was. I feel like the DCU that we are entering is not going to be exactly the same as that. Not to say that a Suicide Squad movie can't or shouldn't be violent. I think it can and should. And so could an authority movie. I think it can and should. 
But the difference between the Suicide Squad movie that we got and this is that the Suicide Squad movie had characters that had heart and we cared about and who had reflections on the things that they did. Um, so I feel like it was a it was a it was a more considerate movie of its own actions. Although if we can get that, like James Gunn's interpretation of these characters, I would be very interested. I don't know. We don't know who's doing the authority in terms of directing it, but um, James Gunn has a, a a way with taking characters who are like insane people and making them uh, kind of endearing. You know, he's done that since Super or Slither. You know, so. I wouldn't mind to see what he, what he could do with this. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, let us know time. in the chat, guys, if you enjoyed the book. Be curious. There's uh, there's one I just wanted to bring up for uh, from Vengeance. Hopefully that Waller event DC is planned for the for next year involves the Authority, Stormwatch, and the Vigil 2. And Ron V writes that. I mean, uh, who knows what Waller's been planning for the past, like, since Dark Crisis. Uh, fingers crossed it's something. It pays off, but... Uh, it'd be cool to to include the authority in that and fight pit them against the Suicide Squad, especially the current iteration. I think that'd be a cool like action figures kind of fighting. Um, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead, Sean. Uh, Suicide Squad had heart, but there were also killers. Yeah, that's cool. Good. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have any problem with that. I think that's fine. You know, the the Suicide Squad movie that James Gunn made clearly worked for a lot of people and we got peacemaker out of it and everything else and i think that's you know he did a good job so i feel like if if that's the blueprint you know regardless of who makes it ultimately it's filtered through the lens of james gunn as he is the kevin feige of this piece you know i i think it's going to have the hallmarks of what we'd ex what we would expect gunn would do on a lot of levels and honestly reading this book that's kind of what i wanted from this book you know yep that's exactly what i wanted from it uh, which is maybe just what we didn't have in 99, but but I don't know. I wasn't really reading comics then. Um, but for uh, next month, uh, patrons will be able to vote on the poll for next month's book. Um, and we're going to announce what those book options are here. Uh, Kale has a pick as well, but he's not here to talk about it. So we'll, uh, we'll just announce his pick. Um, but uh, I guess I'll get mine out of the way. Um, I, I get one, right? Whatever. Um, I'm going to pick... Young Avengers by Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen. Ooh, ooh, that's a good team. Uh, Marco, you can go. Uh, I'm going to do, oh, I'm doing uh, volume one and two of Berserk. Please give me a reason to read this book. Oh, I have it. It's on my shelf. Hold um, on, hold on, hold on. You haven't read it? Huh? You haven't read the book? No, but I know it's good. <laughs> Marco, do you know what's in that book? I'm I'm aware. Oh, oof. Okay. Uh, I chose The Dark Knight Returns uh, by Frank Miller. I'm really excited to read this again. Um, if it wins the book club poll, of course. This is one of the greatest Batman stories ever told, of course, you know. And uh, I think it's high time that we have a discussion about it. It's crazy we haven't. I know, right? You guys haven't done Dark Knight Returns? No. Not even in the, the previous era? No. Nothing, man. Yeah, nothing. Wild. Interesting. We avoided it for some reason. Just like, oh, everybody has had their take. It was like, it took us a while to like watch one even or something like that. It's funny. Uh, I, re I read Sean's pick in our chat, and I just assumed it was Dark Knight Strikes Back because I just assumed you did Returns already. <laughs> no. That'd be a Kale pick. Uh, speaking of Kale's pick, who wants to say what Kale's pick is? Uh, go for it. I don't have it up. All right, it's Identity Crisis, so Identity Crisis will also be on the poll. So your poll consists of Young Avengers, Identity Crisis, Dark Knight Returns, and Berserk Volumes 1 and 2, uh, which is, honestly, that's a pretty stacked poll, I gotta say. This stuff. So if you want to vote on that, join the Patreon, patreon.com slash thecomicspouse. Uh, other than that, I think that's our show, guys. This stuff? That's, uh, it, yeah, I'm excited for next month. Uh, that'll be the next, the, the first one of 2024 as well. So let's start the year off with something, something wild. And honestly, any of those options will be pretty, pretty fun. Something a little berserk, huh? But yeah, thanks for listening, watching, chatting live. And until next time, I'm Tyler. That's Marco. That's Sean. See you next month. There it is. Wait for someone.